0: Good morning again, everyone. So, if you were uh, here or you listened to last week's message, you know that we looked at a passage for election season. A passage to help center us, help guide us, help orient us through this emotionally volatile time uh, that happens at least every four years. And uh, that passage was John 13, where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And if you missed that, I really encourage you uh, to go back and and find it. Um, You can find it on our Facebook page, on our YouTube channel, or if you just want to listen to the audio, you can find that on our podcast. And if you're not sure how to access those things, let me know and I'll I'll tell you. This week, we're going to keep in the spirit of that theme and we're going to look at another passage that I think can help guide us through this emotionally volatile time. Uh, This is a passage that we looked at as a church about two years ago, but I couldn't resist returning to it uh, because I think it's even more relevant than it was then. So, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn to Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Now, I know that during times like these, there's a lot of disagreement, but one thing that I'm confident that we can all agree on is that we live in politically divisive times. right? Uh, People today tend to have very, very strong feelings about politics. And what I want us to realize before we even read this passage is that during Jesus' day, people also had very, very strong feelings about politics. It was a very heated time politically. When Jesus walked the earth, Israel was not an independent, sovereign nation. They were under the authority of the Roman Empire. And that fact was deeply offensive to many Jewish people because they believed it was Israel's God-given right to be an independent and sovereign nation. And yet they had to pay taxes to Rome. You know, imagine if um, suddenly we found ourselves as a country under the authority of Russia and 10 cents on every dollar we spent went to Vladimir Putin. I think that most Americans would think that's offensive. I don't like that. That's not the way it's supposed to be, right? The United States, the United States is supposed to be independent and, and sovereign. And so that's one of the reasons why. Uh, the Israelites were so eager for a messiah to come. Because in their minds, the messiah was going to be a conquering king who was going to free them from the authority of Rome. Now, some people in Israel were so passionate about overthrowing Rome that they advocated violent resistance. And they, they were very extreme. They were even uh, involved in some activities that we might consider terroristic. And these people were known as the zealots. The zealots. So on one end of the political spectrum, you had zealots. On the other end of the political spectrum, you had people who just wanted to play along with the system. Because they felt like that's the safest thing to do. And maybe because in some way they benefited financially from it. So these people would include the tax collectors. You know how in scripture, the tax collectors always are looked down upon and they're regarded as sinners? That's because they collected taxes from Jews to give to Rome. Okay, they'd be like people collecting taxes for Vladimir Putin in the United States. That people really didn't like these people because they felt like they were uh, aiding and abetting this system uh, that dishonored God's nation. Okay? So, on one end of the spectrum, you've got zealots. On the other end of the spectrum, you've got tax collectors. And something to think about is the fact that Jesus selected both a zealot and a tax collector to be among his 12 disciples. Just something to keep in mind, something to, uh, to consider, okay? So the Israelites had very strong feelings about the political situation. And there were legitimate reasons for those strong feelings. Because Rome could be a very cruel empire. Uh, there was one, one time where some Roman officials went into the temple and they killed worshipers as they were engaged in worship. Jesus says that the blood of the worshippers mingled with the blood of their sacrifices. So you can imagine if you know, people came into the thing that you regarded as the most holy place and committed that act of violence, how you would feel about that government. Right, And, of course, we know that this is the, the same empire that devised the, uh, the, the torture, the form of execution that is crucifixion, right? and was willing to subject someone like Jesus to that horrible form of execution. So you can understand why people would have strong feelings about politics in Jesus' day. And then another reason that the Israelites would have strong feelings about politics is because the Israelite leaders weren't that great either. Uh, The Israelite kings at the time were from the, the Herodian dynasty. King Herod, if you hear that name, it probably rings a bell. right? And if you know anything about King Herod and his descendants, you know that these were not the kind of people that would inspire trust. These are not the kind of people that were admirable. Uh, You might remember in the Christmas story, King Herod is the one who is so concerned that a new king may have been born that he orders all the boys in Bethlehem under two years old to be slaughtered, right? This is King Herod, and uh, one of King Herod's descendants during Jesus' day is the one who kills John the Baptist, John the Baptist, a righteous man. And do you remember why? he killed John the Baptist. The story has a lot of details, but the gist of it is uh, King Herod wanted his brother's wife. And so he took his brother's wife, and John the Baptist had the audacity to say, that's not right, you're not supposed to do that. And so eventually John the Baptist gets his head cut off. So you can imagine why people would have strong feelings about politics right now, right? harsh taxes, violence, crucifixion, extreme resistance, people losing their heads for standing up for what's right. That's the politics of Jesus' day. And the people had strong feelings about it. And people were looking to Jesus to make things better. And so I want you to keep all that in mind as we turn now to the passage. Mark 12, starting in verse 13. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. So notice, some of the people coming, they're Herodians. These are the people that support King Herod, the guy who cut off John the Baptist's head. Uh, They came to him and said, Teacher, we know you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. So these people that have come to trap Jesus, that's what we're told that they're here to do, they start with flattery, right? Oh, Jesus, you know, you're such a great guy. You're so smart. You don't, you know, you, 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 tell, you tell the story straight. You're not swayed by other people. Answer us this. So that's the setup. And here's their question. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Now, I hope you can understand why this question is a trap. Okay, this is not an honest question. This is a question that is designed to get Jesus in trouble. Because if Jesus gives a simple yes or no, either way, it's going to hurt him. Right? If he says, yes, pay your taxes, then all the people who are waiting for him to come and overthrow Rome, all the people that are hoping that that's what he's here to do, are going to be disappointed. Right? On the other hand, if he says, no, don't pay your taxes to Rome, well, now the Roman Empire is going to want to put him out immediately, right? Because he's leading an uprising against the government. So this question is designed to put Jesus between a rock and a hard place. It's a mean question. So what does Jesus do? Well, he gives a response that is very clever. Okay. But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin, and he asked them, Whose portrait is on this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. So somehow Jesus wiggled out of this trap, and he did that with this answer. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. But what does that mean? Why is that an amazing response? Well, let's think about this. Jesus calls their attention to a coin, and he asks, whose portrait, whose image is on this coin? And they recognize, well, Caesar's image is on the coin, right? And then Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, which implies, if Caesar's image is on the coin, then you should give him the coin. But then he adds, give to God what is God's. So that raises the question, well, what has God's portrait on it? What has God's image on it? Because whatever has God's image on it, must belong to God. And as any good Jew would know, in the creation story, When God creates human beings, he creates them uniquely in his image. Right? Caesar's image may be on the coin, but God's image is on you. That's what Jesus is saying here. See, a lot of people today, they talk about this passage and they say, well, the point of this passage is that you're supposed to pay your taxes. And that's not really the point of this passage. I mean, yeah, you should pay your taxes, okay? But the point of this passage is that if you are a human being, you belong to God. And you belong to God in a way that you don't belong to Caesar, in a way that you don't belong to any government. And that means that God and God alone deserves your worship and your total allegiance. So when Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's, here's my paraphrase. This is what we should hear. The government can have your taxes, but it should never have your soul. Because you're not made in the image of Caesar. You are made in the image of God, and that means that God and God alone deserves your worship and your allegiance. So, let's uh, put this in present-day terms. You are not made in the image of Donald Trump or Joe Biden. Uh, you are not made in the image of the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. You are not made even in the image of the United States of America. right? You're made in the image of God, so that's who you belong to. And he is the only one who deserves your worship. And this is something that's so important for us to be reminded of, because whenever politics gets heated, we can become tempted to give to Caesar what actually belongs to God. To give to a political candidate, or a political party, or a country, what only God deserves. Now, I want to be careful... How I explain this, okay? I am not saying that we shouldn't care about politics. I'm not saying that we shouldn't vote. Um, I'm not sa- even saying that we shouldn't support a candidate. Uh, I'm not saying that it's wrong to love your country. I'm not saying it's wrong to serve in the military. Not saying those things. But what I am saying, and what Jesus is saying, is that we do not belong to any candidate, any political party, any country in the way that we belong to God. And that should be reflected in the way that we live, in the way that we we think. Our total allegiance should be to God, and God alone. Now, I keep using that phrase, total allegiance. So we need to identify, what does that mean, total allegiance? Well, what I mean essentially by that word, or that phrase, is worship. But practically speaking, here's a few examples of what it looks like when we give total allegiance to someone or something. Okay, ready? Trusting without questioning. Never criticizing. Defending no matter what. Honoring above all things. Assuming that everything the object of our allegiance does is right. And this is a big one. Judging others by whether they share our same allegiance. When we start to give that kind of allegiance to a president, to a candidate, to a political party, to a country, when we do that, we give to Caesar what rightfully belongs only to God. And the biblical word for that is idolatry. It's the first command in the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. And what I want us to recognize is some of the worst things that have happened in history have happened because people have given to Caesar what rightfully only belongs to God. I mean, think of Nazi Germany, right? There is a great example of what can happen when people give to Caesar what only belongs to God. When you do that, you can end up justifying anything. You know, the virtuous people in 1930s Germany were not the people who were loyal to their governments. You know, sometimes that can be exalted as a supreme virtue, but clearly that, that event shows us that is not a supreme virtue, right? The virtuous people in 1930s Germany were the people who found ways to resist the Third Reich. The people who hid uh, Jews underneath their floorboards, even though that put them in danger. So what Jesus is saying here should remind us, you know, all governments are man-made institutions. All political leaders are human beings. And some of these institutions and people deserve our respect. Some of them even justify our service. But none of them deserve our worship. That's for God and God alone, because it's his image that's on us. We belong to him. Now this morning, I want to challenge us to examine ourselves and to ask, am I falling into the trap of giving to Caesar what belongs to God alone? And I want to offer two signs that we might be doing that. So, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write these down. Here's a sign that we are, we are either giving to Caesar what, what only belongs to God, or we're getting dangerously close to that point. Number one, if we defend whatever our Caesar does. If we defend whatever our Caesar does. And I say that whether our Caesar is a presidential candidate, or a political party, or our country. Okay? We should not have an attitude that says, this thing cannot be criticized, ever. This thing is too holy to be criticized. Now, I'm not saying that we should be overly critical either. Okay, The pendulum can swing too far in the other direction. But I'm saying we shouldn't be overly defensive of these things. Uh, they, They should not be beyond critique for us. If we are giving to God what belongs to God. We should have the freedom to say, yeah, that was a terrible thing, uh, what my country did, or what my candidate, my preferred candidate did. We should be able to say, that was a terrible thing, and as a follower of Christ, that bothers me. Because lying bothers me, corruption bothers me, infidelity bothers me, violence bothers me, dehumanizing rhetoric bothers me. Unjustified warfare bothers me, and I don't support it. When we start giving to Caesar what belongs only to God, we're no longer able to be bothered about our Caesar's sins. I'll say that again, because I think that's important. When we start giving to Caesar what belongs to God, we're no longer able to be bothered by our Caesar's sins. Instead of being bothered by those sins, we justify them, we downplay them, We just argue that somebody else's sins are worse. And here's the thing that we have to realize. When we do that, we do damage to the witness of Christ, right? Because some people hear those defenses and they start to think, I guess Christians don't really care about dishonesty. I, don't, I guess Christians don't really care about infidelity. I guess Christians don't really care about the poor or about race, racism. And that's a, that's a tragedy when that happens. Christ's church needs people who care more about the reputation of Jesus than the reputation of a political candidate. All right, so again, that's the first sign that we may be giving to Caesar what belongs to God. We're defending whatever our Caesar does. Second sign, we start looking to Caesar to save us. We start looking to Caesar to save us. Political powers can do a lot of good, and they can do a lot of evil. But none of them have the power to save souls or destroy souls. Only God has that authority. And so, he is the one that we need to put our ultimate hope and faith in, and our confidence in. But during times like these, we can be tempted to place our faith in a Caesar. Now again, I want to be careful about how I explain this, because I'm not saying that who is in the White House doesn't matter at all, uh, I'm not saying that we shouldn't care about politics, but we shouldn't feel like all of our hope is on the line. Right? Uh, some Christians seem to think that if the wrong person gets elected, it's game over. right? Jesus' hands are going to be tied, the church is going to shrivel up and die. The country's gonna to go to hell in a handbasket. But the, the truth is, whatever happens in November, our salvation is secure. And whatever happens in November, our calling as Christians is not gonna change. Right? Our calling is and always will be, until Jesus returns, to represent Christ to the world. Right? To represent the God who washes sinners feet. The God who gives his life for sinners. That's what we're called to represent. That's true now and it will be true no matter what happens in November. And I think when we recognize that the election season is a little less scary. It still matters, but it shouldn't make us lose our minds. You know, some of us think that the stakes are so high during election season that we're justified throwing out the fruit of the Spirit. Just tossing it away. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. We can't, we can't bother with that. The stakes are too high. No. The stakes are never too high to throw that stuff out. we have to remember that no Caesar can save or destroy us. And if we remember that, we will be much less likely uh, to get carried away and act in a way that misrepresents Jesus. Whatever happens, God is still going to be God. And the kingdom of God is still going to come. So again, I want to encourage you this week, do some soul searching. Ask yourself... This election season, am I defending a Caesar no matter what? And am I looking to a Caesar to save me? Has it gotten to that point? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. God deserves our worship. No Caesar does. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, In these challenging times, I pray that we would be salt and light. Lord, as as you tell us in the Sermon on the Mount, that is what we are meant to be as your followers. God, may we um, make this world taste better. May we preserve the goodness in this world. And may we help people to thirst for the kingdom of God. And Lord, if we're going to do that, we recognize that we need to give to you what belongs to you and not give to Caesar what actually belongs to you. Help us to do that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.